Well, guys, this morning we're going to be wrapping up our study through the book of Colossians. And this morning brings us to the very end of the last chapter, chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. These are the final 12 verses of Colossians in which Paul wraps up his letter and says goodbye to the believers in Colossae. Colossae, it was a small town in what would become modern-day Turkey. Uh, Paul brought the main body of the letter to a close during our study last week when we took up uh, those verses that come just before this. And if you're like me, after all of those verses that we've studied in Colossians, if you took the time to read his closing goodbyes here at the end of the letter, if you're like me, these final verses seem kind of rushed and maybe less weighty than everything that came before. Uh, His words here kind of remind me of the sort of things that somebody might yell from a car window as they're backing down a driveway. (laughs) Remember to feed the dog! Stuff like that. It kind of has that feel to it. There's almost a, a bullet point staccato rhythm to these verses. There's a rush of names, a smattering of closing instructions. And then Paul closes the letter with his signature farewell. If you flip through all the letters of Paul and just look at the last couple lines, most of his letters he finishes with some form of grace be with you. And that's what he does here. So it seems rushed. It seems kind of surface level. It seems almost, to use a big word, kind of perfunctory. He's just kind of signing off. But we would be wrong if we finished our study of Colossians back at verse 6. Because this last final section of the letter is just as breathed out, to borrow the language of 2 Timothy 3, as the rest of it. And what we want to do in our time together this morning is to seek God for what He might be saying to us through these closing words to the Colossian church. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask Your help this morning as we open Your Word and enjoy You there in the middle of it. God, I pray, Lord, that You would bring what You have for us in these closing verses to the Colossians home here to us at State Road this morning. And we pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Before we can rightly discern what God might be saying to us through these words, we have to first ask what these words would have meant to their original audience, the Colossian church. It seems to me that Paul's aim in closing out this letter in this way was to connect the Colossian believers with the broader body of Christ. I think this is what he's attempting to do here at the close of the letter. He wants to connect the Colossians with the families spread out at that time. I won't belabor these points because we've lingered, them, lingered on them during other mornings together, but Paul's letter to the Colossians is somewhat unique in that it was the only letter that he wrote to a small town. It, it's strange, the list of letters, if you go Rome... Philippi, Ephesus, Corinth. It's a bit like saying Boston, New York City, Philadelphia, Ashland. That's a bit how it would read if you tossed Colossians into the mix. It's a strange thing 
that he wrote a letter to this town to begin with. It's a small, not even a crossroads. It's a way stop on the way between population centers. It's a small, no-stoplight kind of town, Colossians, Colossae. And it's unique in that way. It was also the only letter of Paul's to a place that he never visited personally. As far as we know, as far as the historical and biblical record shows, Paul never went to this town, never visited this church personally. So that makes this letter somewhat unique. And the Colossian church was made up almost entirely of Gentile converts who were likely brand new to the revelation of God. They were not familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. Most of the people who populated the Colossian church would have come into the faith out of worshiping the pantheon of gods in the Greco-Roman world. And this is their brand new 101 introduction to to the God of the universe. They're brand new to it all, brand new to the conversation, have no history in this at all. All of this makes for kind of a unique thing. This church was flourishing in isolation from the rest of the body. And so it seems to me that Paul is eager in his signing off to build some relational ties between the Colossian believers and their brothers and sisters elsewhere in the church. And he does this in a number of different ways here at the close of the letter. The first thing we see, and I'm going to read here verses 7 through 9, is he sends some people to them. Uh, including one of their own, Onesimus, who we studied at length when we studied the book of Philemon. We got very familiar with this person, Um, but Onesimus is going to be sent back. I'm just going to go ahead and read the verses, verses 7 through 9. He says this, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So one of the ways that Paul is going to try and build connectedness between this isolated church in Colossae and the broader body of Christ is by sending some people there to tell them about what's going on in the broader body of Christ. The second thing, we pick this up in verse 10. He says this, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Uh, What he does here is he makes them aware that in the broader body of Christ, people they've never met and some that they have, there are these people who are living bold, sacrificial lives because of the gospel. There are kingdom-minded people who have put the kingdom of God at the very center of their lives, and they're living for that as their great cause. And he wants them to know that. He wants them to know their names, and he wants them to know some things about them. 
The third thing he does is he gives instructions that would draw them into a meaningful exchange with a sister church in that same region, the church in Laodicea. Verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Uh, These are in some ways some mysterious verses. First of all, some of us are like, there was a letter to Laodicea? How come that's not in our Bibles? I don't know. (laughs) We don't know where that went. We don't know what it said. But apparently there was a letter that Paul wrote to this other church that God did not include in the completed canon of his word. Also, who's this dude, Archippus? I don't know. But they are to see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. A lot of things going on here. But I think the big takeaway here is that Paul desires for this isolated church in Colossae to be brought into collaborative relationship with the church some distance down the road in Laodicea. And the last thing he does is he calls on the church in in Colossae to remember his chains. I, Paul, write write this greeting with my own hand, remember my chains, grace be with you. Remember my chains. Now, each of the people Paul mentioned in the closing of this letter represented someone with a different story. Each was a story of grace and coming to faith in Jesus. Each was a story of somebody who was learning, who learned to walk in Christ and then discovering how they fit within the great cause of liberating people out from under the bondage to sin and death. And these, each story would have been wonderfully affirming to these folks in Colossae because each would have stated powerfully, you're not alone. Other people see it too. Other people have seen the great, excellent, surpassing worth of Jesus, and they're living that way. Now, this is a wonderful thing that Paul is giving these Colossian Christians. Um, I remember one time I I attended a a church revitalization seminar at a conference one time, and the guy leading the conference um, had written some books, and he was, he was the guy who was doing the talking. And he brought up, somebody brought up the stat that a lot of, and I'll get the numbers wrong. I'm sure this number is wrong, but it was some fantastically big number. Let's say 80%. That's probably not the real number. But he said something like 80% of pastors who go into the ministry in the first five years, they burn out and never come back, which is a depressing stat. And he said, most of the time I hear people cite that statistic as proof that it's a tough, tough role. He said, I don't think that's what's going on. He said, I actually think that's proof that a lot of people are going into pastoral ministry without a call to that work. He said, at some point, a young person was coming up in the faith, and they began to feel zealous for the Lord. Like, they are just on fire. They have seen the excellence and the worth and the necessity of the gospel They feel there's this great urgent need to take these truths to people who need it, who are dying in their sins. They become filled with a passion for these things. And then they look around the church and they go, who else is zealous? And they say, well, pastors are, missionaries are. I must be a passion or a missionary. 
And he said the great fatal error that they make is conflating zeal with calling. His point was this, zeal is normative in the Christian life. Every believer should be zealous for these things, should be on fire for the great global mission of the church, and should be actively using their gifts in support of that mission. And so what Paul is doing in part to these Colossian believers is saying this excitement that you feel about the gospel, this incredibly mind-blowing thing that you've been introduced to and you see that it's wonderful and needed and worth giving your life to, you're not alone in feeling that way. There are other believers in other places in other walks of life who see that and feel that as you do. You're not alone. Who wants to be alone in a thing? Paul really wants them to know that they're not alone. As I was reading our passage for this morning, I was struck by how often Paul uses the word fellow. Fellow servant, fellow prisoner, fellow worker. He speaks the language of family, saying that people are brothers. Although the word fellowship, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, although that word is not used in these verses, it is being described. Fellowship, or koinonia, means this. It means having a share in something, or sharing in something in the pursuit, sharing with someone in the pursuit of something. Koinonia speaks to having togetherness in a cause. It's a rich camaraderie. Shared lives, shared meals, shared identity, a shared mission. This is uh, the, the essence of koinonia, biblical fellowship. We're, we in the church are called to a very deep sort of togetherness in the gospel. Uh, oftentimes in the church, we talk about fellowship, and David Mathis pointed this out one time in something I read. He said, we tend to think of fellowship as gathering around the TV to watch a football game. He said, when in reality, biblical fellowship is more like the players on the field. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not spectator business. It's about being together in the dirt and the blood and the sweat of it all. That's kind of what he has in mind here. What Paul wants to do for this remote outpost of the faith in Colossae is give them the gift of koinonia connectedness with the broader body of Christ outside of their little small town church. To show what this means, this idea of koinonia fellowship, consider with me the following four passages where Paul uses this word. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? 2 Corinthians 8, 4 says this, They begged us earnestly for the grace and the participation in the ministry to the saints. In Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings. 
Philippians 1, 3 through 5, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, in those four passages of Scripture, the word fellowship never appeared in our English translations. But koinonia is translated in the first two as participation. In Philippians 3, it's translated as sharing, and in Philippians 1, as partnership. It's the same word. And in English, these words all have slightly different shades of meaning, but in the original writings, the same word was used to signify all these things. So koinonia, guys, is a shared hope in Christ. It's a shared cause and a shared mutual concern often amid shared hardships. Remember my chains, says Paul. Biblical fellowship is participation, sharing, and partnership in a great cause and a shared delight in a great God, a shared embrace of whatever comes from pursuing that God and the cause of his kingdom. This is the spirit behind describing these people in this way to the Colossians as fellows and pointing them to the koinonia potential of partnering with other believers in various ways. Okay, so that's what God was saying to the Colossians, I think, in the way Paul signed this letter off. What does this have to do with us? (laughs) We're not a remote outpost. We're in the big town of Mapleton, right? No. But what is God saying to us? Here at State Road in 2023, these same words come thundering down through all the years and have been poured out here into this room. What do we do with them? First thing I'll say is this. I entitled this sermon, Aunts and Uncles in the Faith. (laughs) My conviction is, uh, as as a dad... Uh, which is a way more important role than pastor, I think. My kids need some crazy aunts and uncles in the faith, big time. Um, If we were to draw this analogy out, the father figure to the Colossians, the human father figure to this church, would have been this guy named Epaphras. He was a missionary who came among them, shared the gospel with them, brought them to Christ. And this whole letter from Paul is a letter from an uncle in the faith, as it were. And all these people he's talking about, and men and women, Nympha, the, the church in her house, he's pointing them to the aunts and uncles in the family of God. I really believe we need, all, we, and here I'm speaking not only to parents, but to those who love the parents in our church. We need to bring our younger people to a connectedness with the broader body of Christ than even what they have in their home or even here in just our church. Uh, My my experience as a little boy growing up in church, um, and this gets a little autobiographical, I'm sorry, this is not about me, the church is not about Josh, I don't mean to make it about my story, but I grew up in a very small church. My mom and dad were the pastors, And I felt, you remember when Gifflin was here presenting about when the Operation Christmas Child boxes came to her town? 
and she was saying how her mom and dad loved the Lord and were trying to start a church out of a bicycle repair shop. Remember that? Um, And how discouraging it was for them. (laughs) I remember growing up, my mom and dad, uh, my dad was pastoring this church right outside Washington, D.C. It was very small. And my feeling as a kid was my mom and dad love the Lord and they're trying to get these other people to get there too. (laughs) That was the feeling. May not have been fair, probably certainly wasn't, but that was the feeling I had. And so the feeling I had was the church was very sleepy and was very apathetic and wasn't the fullness of what God would want a church to be. That was the kind of the feeling I had as a little boy growing up in church. And... I'll tell you today, the hardest people I find to talk to about the gospel were people who grew up in a church that didn't live out the gospel in front of them, and they've walked away and rejected it. You start talking to them about church and the gospel, and it's almost like they're inoculated against the truth. I've been there, done that, I've done the church thing, please don't talk to me about it. It's very hard. God in His grace saved me from a sleepy Christianity. And you know how he did that? As I look back over the course of my own life, my own walking with Jesus, was God introduced me into broader contact with the body of Christ outside of that little sleepy church. Stabbed my heart wide awake to some radical Christian living that I did not see in my church. And it happened in a couple different ways. One thing that was really important is my mom and dad were sincere. They meant it. Kids have a front row seat to the reality of your home. And as imperfect, wildly imperfect as Barry and Janet Tate were, they did love the Lord in a very sincere way. That was a saving thing. They didn't go to church and put on a plastic Jesus smile and then come home and say, ah, those rotten jerks. <laughs> they loved the church in front of me. They loved God. They really meant it. That was a very important thing. So that was important. But also as a kid, and I had the great privilege of being in the, the pastor's house, when people would come to visit our church, visiting missionaries and things, to save money, the church would kick me out of my bed. <laughs> and I'd sleep in the den. But we'd have dinner with these people. And so I would sit there as my mom and dad would talk to a missionary fresh home from the front about what was going on in the mission field and how they were living and the sacrifices that they were making. And that had a powerful impact on me as a kid. I remember for weeks we would put up in our house immigrants. My mom and dad just as a ministry would do that. And so I would just have this contact with the broader body of Christ. A really important thing for me happened when I was a teenager, which is when my mom and dad shipped me off to go work at Camp Maranatha for a summer on summer ministry team. I worked for $11 a day and did that for, ended up doing that for three summers. I got my wife out of the deal, but I got one from California. It was amazing. Um, One of the great things for me spiritually about those three summers, though, was, man, did it introduce me to the broader body of Christ. People would come to that camp from all different kinds of churches, Korean Christians, Chinese Christians, Christians from Africa, Christians from South America, Christians from 
San Diego. Youth pastors, senior pastors, moms and dads who gave up their vacation week to come serve at camp. Just amazing people who they saw it too. It was like every time I would meet one of these people and they were on fire for Jesus, it was just a wonderfully affirming moment. It was like, yeah, <laughs> me too. I see that too. I want to live my life for that too. And I think that's in part what Paul is doing here for the Colossians. It's part of what I want desperately for our kids downstairs in junior church. I think um, Camp Maranatha was very critical. When I went to college, that was super important. I'm a, I strongly recommend Christian colleges. I think it's a great thing. You don't need it. But even at any college, I encourage people who go away to school to get plugged in to an inner varsity group, some sort of a, a Christian ministry on campus. What a great place to meet Christians from other backgrounds at a, in a formative time of your life. Uh, during those years when I was in college, my dad introduced me to the, the joy of Christian biographies. I know not all of you are readers, but I would really encourage, if you're into, the, you want to build relational connectedness with the broader body of Christ, Go out and buy some Christian biographies. I was just talking with somebody this morning about a book my dad gave me during my college years on the life of missionary to China, James O. Frazier. I mean, it kicked me in the tail. It was, <laughs> it was so needed. I read that book, and, and I've reread it, and it was just one of those things that his life spurred me on in an aggressive, wonderful way. James O. Frazier. I read another book during those years about Peter Marshall. The book was called A Man Called Peter. Very good. There's so many ways. Guys, we could talk about Bix, this great program down in Massachusetts. We could talk about Spam Camp, Camp Nomaca. I could even talk about Varsity or Hide and Seek Club. Sarah and I have to own that our primary responsibility for those kids belongs to us. We're going to answer before the throne of judgment for how we discipled our children. But I'm so glad for all you aunts and uncles <laughs> who pour into them on those places and those occasions. I love sending my kids off to varsity because I know their crazy Uncle Aaron will be there. <laughs> and he's going to love them well and point them towards Jesus. And these are great opportunities to broaden their connectedness with the body of Christ even just outside of their home. That, yeah, mom and dad have to play that pivotal central role. But some of you who don't yet have kids, some of you whose kids are, are gone, you're not done with your parenting years. I need you to help me with mine. <laughs> I need you to be aunts and uncles to my six kids. Very, very grateful for the church family we have here. Uh, just in support of this idea... A verse that has come to mean a lot to me, Matthew 19, verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Now, I haven't done anything perhaps as dramatic as this, but I am from away. I'm not from up here. Uh, I did say goodbye to my mom and dad to pursue ministry. But you know what I've found? I have found loads of moms and dads and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters in the church. 
This promise is true and it is real and I have found it here among you. And then I've found my people. I've found a family. And I'm so grateful for that. So yes, uh, I think that one of the things we need to do as a church is to think about how can we broaden the world of our young people as they're coming up, expose them to a broader connectedness with the body of Christ. Uh, Here's something else I think we can think about in connection with this. Do you remember back when we studied the great one another passages of the Bible? We didn't get to all of them. It was a while back yet, but there's a lot in the Bible. There are so many of these one another passages. Each one is powerfully convicting. And back when we studied it, and this just occurred to me this week in my study, and I felt some guilt that it didn't occur to me back then, we talked about those one another passages pretty much exclusively as something that we needed to live out among us personally here within our church. But it didn't occur to me till this week when I thought about the church in Colossae and the church in Laodicea that these one another passages need to be lived out between church families. This is an interesting thought that really radically changed my view on some things this week. God confronted me in my study this week, but what if we took passages that said, like, build up one another, and we didn't just think about that as between us, but between churches? What would it look like for State Road to build up a sister church, or to be devoted to one another, or to honor one another, or even to admonish one another, or even just pretty low bar, greet one another? How can we greet our churches here in this corner of the harvest or carry one another's burdens or encourage one another? Guys, there are some phenomenal churches doing a good work here in Aroostook County, and we need to be a one another people with them and what they're doing. And uh, we've really enjoyed that thought this week, but just to um, expand, have broader connectedness in the body of Christ. I believe that when God looks down on Aroostook County, He only sees one church. It's true. But from my perspective where I sit, I see lots of churches. (laughs) And that's a a product of my own fallenness, I think, to some extent. Guys, here's another way that I think we can apply what we've seen in these verses. And that's just simply this prayer. Uh, This seems like a lesser thing, and it is absolutely not. But in our passage that we studied last week, Paul asked the Colossians to pray for him. In our text for this morning, Paul relates to the Colossians how Epaphras struggles on behalf of them in his prayers for them. And this act of praying for one another is an excellent expression of koinonia fellowship because it evidences a shared concern for one another and a partnering with one another in the kingdom work that each one is doing. Here's something else I think we can do if you're feeling like you want to live out what we see in these closing instructions from Paul, is share in a ministry with someone. Uh, The hospitality team that put on the Harvest Supper last night, uh, not only did they work amazingly well together to get that done, but they did it with so much cheer and good humor. It was fun to be with them at times in the doing of it. Sunday school, junior church, varsity, hide-and-seek club, Martha and Mary's, Nomaca camp meetings. Because there are so many places to plug in and become part of a team. 
and thereby expand your connectedness with the broader body of Christ. You can't do it all, but you can do something. And pray for God to show you that place where you fit in. I think we can think of ways that we can better encourage our missionaries in the field and bring their stories home to us and to our young people. I'm glad for Pastor Andrew, for his leadership, part of his role being that. That's certainly a way that we can broaden that connectedness. But just in closing, the big themes here are this. Believers find comfort, help, and community with other believers. Vital ministry is accomplished through a team of people. God uses ordinary people to accomplish his work. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called and gives them what's needed. And prayer should be more than an occasional emergency sort of thing that we avail ourselves of. It deserves our constant attention and is vitally important for all the work that we do in the community that we enjoy together. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for... Um, God, I thank you for your church. I thank you for fellow believers. Thank you for drawing us over the years into relationship with other believers who spur us on to love and good works. That's the language of Hebrews 10. And Father, as I look back over my own life, God, you have used different people at different times to draw me by their example out of a place of apathy and sleepiness and inactivity into something more, more joy-filled, a richer way of living, a more profitable way of spending my days that has brought me, at times, great happiness. God, I'm thankful for the way that you have used others in my life to do that. I just thank you personally for the lives of believers that I've read in biographies or that I met at camp meetings or that came and sat at the table in my home as a little boy. God, all of them had this place of drawing me out into something richer and fuller. And God, my prayer is that in the years ahead, maybe even just in the days ahead, maybe today, you would draw your people here at State Road into greater, deeper connectedness with the body of Christ outside of our fellowship. Draw each of us, God, deeper within our fellowship, too. God, I pray that the parents of young children in our church would be mightily helped by the community that they have brought their children into, that those little kids would find here just wonderful uh, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, grandma and grandpas who would just love them and point them to Jesus and would live out a compelling but honest Christianity in front of them. Father, I just pray for you to do these things here, and thank you for showing us these things in the way that Paul signed off his letter to the Colossians. In Jesus' name, amen.